people often believe that there is an all or nothing debate around environmental issues, race issues, social justice issues. It, it seems like there's, okay, you are for it or you are against it. And that's so counterproductive and it's so divisive in terms of creating actual progress. And particularly with the environmental world, it's easy to illustrate that there is staged levels of participation that you can be on. So what I see myself as is the gateway drug to sustainability. Hello, friends, and welcome to Impact Everywhere, the podcast that looks for people having a positive impact in unexpected places. Our guest today is Levi Save the World Hildebrand, and he is a YouTuber with over 9 million views where he focuses on starting conversations around different environmental issues, but he does it in an entertaining way. Now, Levi has been doing this for only give or take three to four years, and I was really interested to have him on to share how he got started and how he converted what was initially just a hobby into a full-blown lifestyle. I stumbled across Levi about one year ago and reached out because he was Canadian, male, and working on sustainability. I was curious to hear from him how he made it all work. How did he take a boring topic like sustainability and make it approachable, entertaining, and do it in such a way that people would be actually willing to pay money to support him to continue to do what he does best? Along the way, I wanted to learn more about his theory of change. How did he track whether or not he was going in the right direction? How does he draw the line between being a creator and including his life in order to make his content more approachable? And so much more. Anyways, I had a conversation with Levi for just under an hour, and I've just asked him when he realized that YouTube was a place where he could really make a difference. YouTube is a weird space, I think. And when it started to hit rubber to the road, as they say, for me, was when I woke up to a flood of notifications in my YouTube studio inbox. And overnight, somebody had shared a video that I had made about Patagonia on a subreddit. And within two weeks of that day, I went from 2,000 subscribers to over 20,000 subscribers. That was the very like obvious landmark moment of, oh my gosh, look, somebody has resonated with my content and they've resonated so much that they've shared it. And then beyond that, the hundreds of thousands of other people have also resonated and watched it. And that had never happened to anything that I had made before. And so that was really profound for me. And then almost immediately after that, I was like, oh my God, I got to make another video about Patagonia. And did you make a video about Patagonia? I actually went on to create a follow-up video about Arcteryx in very much the exact same way. So for those of you who are listening who don't know my content, I create educational environmental content. And one of the ways that I've strategically positioned my channel is to appeal to people who are not necessarily already a part of the climate change conversation. So... Patagonia, for me, is a searchable term. It's a consumable product that people are very familiar with. And so I understood that if people were looking for a new jacket, they would Google, why is Patagonia so expensive? And so I made that the title of my video. No indication of environmental aspects, no mention of their sustainability practices. And throughout that piece, I illustrate for probably half of it, why their products are higher quality, why they pay their staff living wages. And then I slowly gradually work into the sustainability practices that they uphold. So it's like a message baked into a sort of explainer video. And yeah, it did really well. It succeeded in getting all the views and hopefully throughout that subconsciously planting a seed of environmental awareness into uh, those of the people who watched it. So yes, I created a follow-up video. The follow-up video was about Arcteryx and why Arcteryx is so expensive. That video outperformed the Patagonia video by about order of magnitude. It has four times the amount of views that, it, that the Patagonia video does. And to be honest, it's probably not my favorite video because I, I think that I was trying to pander a little bit too much and, and not bring enough of the message home. 
but regardless, it succeeded. There was hundreds of thousands of views and I, my ego was inflamed. And I made a third video following up after that about Birkenstocks. And the Birkenstocks video outperformed the Patagonia and the Arcteryx video and now has 1.4 million views or something. And yeah, it's a very dangerous, slippery slope to have something go viral and then to ride that wave, in my experience. You basically found the formula and you experimented and kept playing with it and wrote yeah. it to see how far it would take you. But I'm curious to go backwards. So when you made the Patagonia video, you had 2000 followers, so you weren't really speaking to a large audience. What kept you motivated during that time? How were you sculpting your brand and your content and speaking essentially to hopefully one day get picked up? I think there's a common saying amongst musicians, like you always play as though there's a live show with a packed crowd. And that's very much the vibe that you have to have, I think, if you're creating YouTube content in particular, because the bar is so high and people have this expectation that you're going to present professional content, no matter how large your audience is. So I wanted to create environmentally focused content. And my original idea was not actually to make videos about brands. It was not to make videos about my life. It was to feature, and this is the line that I had, the ideas, innovations, and individuals who are making the world a better place. That was the original focus of the channel. The you don't need to be a hero to save the planet thing took hold and became the primary focus later. But the idea was like, there's lots of positivity going on in the world. There's lots of people who are going to take on this environmental challenge and are going to share that story and it's going to be inspiring. And that's what I wanted to see. That's what I personally was motivated by was seeing the good things that were happening. So I made videos about really elaborate bike lanes in the Netherlands. I made videos about renovated old warehouses that were turned into dance halls and like performance spaces and coffee shops that served the homeless and gave back to charities and stuff. So I was really all over the map and all of it was based around doing the right thing. And what the Patagonia video did was a identified a niche that I could play to and an audience that was already pre-built into the Google algorithm. But also it made me realize that I needed to find some kind of niche within the world of sustainability that people were, were going to relate to. So basically you were following your own interest. You found out what you loved, you got good at it. And then now 9 million views later, <laughs> you've also found this niche that you know that the world is actually interested in and have developed wonderfully. Over this whole course of time, you've probably evolved your thinking around this, but what is your theory of change? Oh man. Vaughn, you, you hit me with a big one. I've seen a lot of messages from people who have said, hey, man, I just wanted to send you a message to let you know that after watching your content, I am going to do insert blank. Or I've seen comments from people saying something along those lines. And that's like data points that academic researchers around the world would just die for to see feedback unrequested from people to say this particular thing led to this response in my life. That's huge. That's invaluable. It's the amazing power that we have on social media is to reach into people's lives in such an intimate way. But I do think that there's also a sense of apathy that comes with that because you're watching somebody else do it. And, and that sort of performance element of the internet is in some ways a barrier as well. So I find myself stuck where, okay, I personally feel like I'm making a difference in my life. And part of that difference is sharing the possibilities and the things that I do in my life with other people. But then also I, I recognize that half of what I do is because I am able to monetize it in a certain way. And I have a community online that supports that. How we affect change is, is a difficult question to answer. Have you found a way or a style of communication that helps move people from apathy into action? Yeah, so this is an idea that I have been trying to foster in the sustainability environmentalism world for a while, and that's the spectrum of participation. People often believe that there is an all or nothing debate around environmental issues, race issues, 
social justice issues. It, it seems like there's, okay, you are for it or you are against it. And that's so counterproductive and it's so divisive in terms of creating actual progress. And particularly with the environmental world, it's easy to illustrate that there is staged levels of participation that you can be on. So what I see myself as is the gateway drug to sustainability. So for me, I recognize that I'm not the most sustainable YouTuber on the platform. There are people whose names, and I love Emmy to death, but her name on Instagram is Sustainable Vegan. So like you don't have a second to process what she's about. She's just told you right off the bat, this is what I do. This is how I eat and this is how I live. And I didn't want that to be a barrier for people. If somebody meets me at a party, I want them to get all the way to, wow, I freaking like this guy. He's super fun. I want to be this guy's friend. And then as they get to know me, they realize that I have these values that are you know, maybe different than what they have. And they can then more easily take that in and potentially adopt it in their own lives because they've seen and established trust with me as an individual. In my work, I have always thought that curiosity was that entry point. In your case, it feels almost like a human connection or rapport that you try to build through the medium of, of a YouTube video or, or any video really, which is really hard to do. What is it that you think allows someone to build trust with somebody they've never met before? I think trust is formulated through consistency. If you see a person on the street more than one or two times, your brain automatically goes, wait, who's that? And like, why are they here? And what do they have to think about things? And YouTube has a recommendation system and an algorithm that sort of fosters that. But I think that it all starts out of curiosity. So for you, your work is very much driven on like the what is that kind of mentality and while i'm not elaborately setting up enormous photo shoots with thousands of computers or plastic bottles i'm creating an opportunity for people to be curious about a particular brand or a particular strategy that i might have so for example a video that i'm working on about my coffee routine where you have a coffee routine even if it's not drinking coffee, and I do, and everybody else does. And that's one great place to tap into familiarity and to build that trust. So if they go, oh my gosh, interesting. I've never thought of doing it that way. That's one moment where they related their own life to your own life. And that's the power of a YouTube video in general is I've been very cautious about sharing my personal life online in, in a totally seamless way, like vlogs, like I could never get into vlogging. It just seems like way too difficult to a accomplish. Oh my God, making your everyday life interesting. And also having a work life balance. That seems like a nightmare, but also I recognize the power of seeing those intimate moments in another person's life online and relating to them in that way and feeling that deep connection. And so more and more as my channel has evolved, I've recognized that stale, removed videos about a brand are helpful only to a certain extent. Because I think that why people make that choice or that purchase decision or that change in their life is largely because they found a person who told them about it that they trusted and that they believed in. The piece that you said about the coffee is really interesting. It reminds me of a book I read by Jonah Berger called Contagious. And one of the rules that they have, if you want to create something that's contagious, is to ask yourself how these things manifest in other people's lives on a recurrent basis. So the song Friday by Rebecca Black would spike every Friday because obviously it mm. had that Friday, Friday. And so you're doing the same thing. You're saying like, oh, I want everyone to think about this video that I just made every single time they make coffee. So there's brilliance in there that I think is really interesting. Now that we spoke about trust, I'd love to tackle the concept of responsibility. So mm. if people trust you, with that comes a great deal of responsibility. And you're the gateway to introducing people to different brands and concepts and ideas. How do you decide which stories to tell? How do you decide which brands to feature? This is something that I didn't ever think I would have the problem of having. Because when I first started this, I didn't recognize that was uh, going to be a challenge for me. But 
as things have grown, yeah, I, I get reached out to a lot because I'm specifically talking about brands on the channel. So recently I made a video about a mining company and that video was initially never going to happen. They sent me an email and they said, Hey, my name's Julie and I work for a mining company called Nouveau Monde and we'd like to sponsor a video on your YouTube channel. And I said, Hey, Julie, thank you, but no thank you. If you had seen my channel, you might be able to see that a mining company doesn't really seem like something that I can endorse as a creator that is specifically focused on making the world a better place through sustainability. And she responded and said, I believe you and I'm, I thank you for your response because I think if you take a look into what we're doing, we have a lot more in common than you might think. And this sent me down a rabbit hole of learning about mining and Canadian mining law. And it took me a month of back and forth with her and talking with my family and my friends to figure out if this was a decision that I was going to make because of that responsibility, because of that trust that I've built with my audience. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter how much money I get from a mining company if I can't make any more videos afterwards because that trust has been damaged. Because it is about building a community and it's about having that space where I can share my ideas, but it's also about money. Like this is my livelihood at the end of the day as well. So I'm in an interesting kind of balance there. So the, to make a long story short, I, I took the deal and I made the video about the mining company and I called the video. This video is sponsored by an open pit mine. I did that specifically because of that trust aspect. I knew that if I made a video, which this was their recommendation, they said, we'd like you to make a video about electric cars. And we would like to be the sponsor of that video about electric cars because we are a graphite mine. We produce materials that go into EV battery technology. For me, I knew that from an audience standpoint, this would have felt like a bit of a punch out of nowhere because here we are learning about this car and then suddenly Levi's endorsing this mining company. There's way too much context to explain <laughs> when it's a 60 second bit in the middle of a 15 minute long video. So I thought by really putting the nail on the head and just calling it what it is right off the top, not only would that produce incredible transparency on what it is, but I think that's a ultimately way more interesting video to click on. Like, why are EVs good for the environment versus this video is sponsored by an open pit mine? That's interesting. And the video is not the best performing on my channel, but they were incredibly happy with the performance of the video because of the engagement that happened on it. So the comments, because of the way that I framed it, were incredibly positive overall. And people's recognition of the risk that I took as a creator to try to partner with an open pit mine was actually turned out to be very positive where this could have been very negative. And I think it's that framing and it's that honoring of that relationship and that trust that allowed me to do it in the first place. Yeah. I personally was so confused by that video when I first saw the title that I had to watch it and I was pleasantly <laughs> surprised. And I was like, wow, this is really brave because back to this topic of spectrum of environmentalism, I think that there's so much morality that comes into this argument that people tend to simplify everything into black and white. It's mining terrible, environmental cars good, and it's so simplistic. And so when I saw that, I was actually like, oh, this is a really courageous move. This is hard to do. And, and of course, you did your homework to go in and understand and made a judgment call and invited people along with you. But I'm sure that you also got a fair amount of criticism. And we all know that criticism sticks a lot more than, than the positive comments. So how did you deal with the negative comments that came in? What is that like and how do you handle it? I often get comments that are fairly emotional on particularly videos about bikes. For some reason, people hate bikes. So on those videos, when I see someone that is responding from just like a purely emotional standpoint, it washes off my back quite easily. I have no qualms with that. I've developed a tough skin from my time in the acting world, so that means nothing to me. But there was some very well thought out 
rebuttals to this video. And that was difficult because I am very careful. I take a lot of pride in the fact that I don't just take any random sponsorship. And in particular, one of our friends actually, who is a part of Mining Watch Canada as like, she has it as a newsletter that she gets in her inbox, she sent me one of their news releases that they made about Nouveau Monde as a company. And in that piece, they basically have a takedown for every single one of their claims. And it's very thorough. I looked at this and for the first couple hours, I was like, I was literally like, I was like cold. I was like chilly about it. I was like, oh my God, I've screwed up. I, I somehow have been duped. I've missed out on all this information. So I sent it to Nouveau Monde and I was like, hey, this exists. I don't know how I didn't find it. I don't know how this isn't common knowledge. What do you have to say? And this had been released months and months before I made this video. And they had already created a press release that they did in response to it, sent all their shareholders. And what I had understood before I even sent it to them was that this is politics, essentially. This is blue versus red. And Mining Watch is largely in protest of mining in Canada, more generally. And their job is to critique the practices that are being handled. And the rebuttals were valid. They brought up some claims that I wish that I had included in the video, probably. But overall, it was a recognition that like that gray area exists. And while they're poking holes in the claims of this company, they're also illustrating that, yeah, this company is still better than, for example, they, they said, this is an all electric mine, which I guess we should have mentioned earlier. <laughs> they're an 100% electric mine specifically for graphite. And that graphite is to be used in EV technology. And in this news release, they pointed out that in the fine print of some document that they have to legally release that I didn't read, that is by year five, given financial viability. So what they were saying is basically, so there's zero accountability at this point. They could make the EVs, turns out they don't really work that well, and then they don't have to do them anymore. And what does that mean for the mine? And yeah, that's not great. That changes the conversation significantly. But I still think that if they try and they actually create technology that might help us on that journey, or they create a stock product that people are excited about, it proves market viability for more sustainable mining alternatives. So I recognize and I, I love that they exist and that they're there to critique, but it also almost illustrated my point exactly. This is not perfect, but it's a step towards better. For sure, progress over perfection. It's better to celebrate those milestones out to the right direction. I want to talk about the YouTube recommendation algorithm real quick, because following the success of your Birkenstocks video, especially it's your number one performing video, you had the opportunity to get sucked down this rabbit hole of going after performance of your channel, performance financially, performance of sponsorship deals, and so on and so forth. But you've made the conscious decision to try and break out from that. How do you balance out stories that you know are going to perform versus stories you think need to be told? Oh, Vaughn. You, you cut the nail on the head there. This is the struggle I think of any creator on YouTube. There are very few people who create content that is guaranteed to get a lot of views every single time and do that exclusively. And that is because usually that content is not evergreen. Very few exceptions I think are like tech reviewers, van lifers, and early days of the vlogging days. It, usually, if you create content, there's a certain niche that you can occupy that does really well, and then there's the rest of your content, which is probably the other 80 or to 50%. And for me, I was pushed into that pigeonhole. Like when that Patagonia video blew up, it dictated the future of my channel by and large up until today, because even right now, I know for example, one of my more recent videos was, why is Lululemon so popular? And the thumbnail was, is it worth the hype with the arrow that points to the Lululemon? 
And that video is performing twice as well as the other content of, that I've put out recently. So yeah, the challenge is always to go where the views are or go where you feel like you should from a sort of uh, message standpoint. So I know that I could make exclusively brand focused content. The problem with that though, for me is that I know that there's only a finite number of brands that are sustainable. And I don't want to make a, a channel that's just me taking down brands and then promoting sustainable brands because that will exhaust me creatively probably quite soon. And also it, it represents such a narrow segment of the, the conversation because we're, we're talking about largely for me, athletic outdoor branding companies. Because I've made videos about brands that aren't those things and they perform significantly less than those. So if I wanted to purely chase views, I'd make a video about North Face, Patagonia, Fjall Raven, Nike, Lululemon. Like I would hit all of the biggest brands and basically be debunking all of them because they all are probably terrible. So the reason why I don't do that is a because I don't want to and B because I don't think that it actually represents the brand that I want to create long term. So the slogan is you don't need to be a hero to save the planet. I think that shopping and the purchasing of things as everybody will do and does all the time is one facet of that. I think it's a particularly well viewed aspect of that. But I recognize that People have other concerns and the only way that I can represent those things is by showcasing my life and the choices that Leah and I make as a couple as well. So I slowly started introducing personal lifestyle kind of content into the channel early on to build up a bit of a core base of people who would watch anything I made. And has that worked? Yes and no. I would say like my low end of views is like 15,000 people, I can probably guarantee 15,000 views on just about any kind of content. Like it would have to be pretty far off of base for, for that not to get views, but that's tough as a creator. Oh man, I just know that I'll spend all this time and energy on this video and 10% of the people will watch it from a brand video. On that note, then how have you made it sustainable for yourself to live the kind of life that you want to live as opposed to one that's beholden to ad rev directly. So I've diversified my income model away from direct sponsorship completely. So I have a Patreon page where I release exclusive content and more environmentally focused content. Like it's for the people who found the channel accidentally liked it and were a little more interested to know more. And then they decided that they would support what I'm doing because I provided them with them with some information and then they get more information and more insights into our behind the scenes life. So we do a secret podcast and stuff like that. And I think what I've had to do is get used to not getting as many views, like lowering your expectations is a very healthy thing to do. Cause I remember at one point I was like, man, if I could get 10,000 views on a video, that would be amazing. Like that, if I could just consistently get that, wow. And now I do. And I'm always disappointed when a video doesn't get 20,000 views. So just like, recognizing that's maybe an okay thing and understand that communication method is working for that chunk of people and using brand videos as a recruitment tool to get more new users to the channel to potentially get them interested in new content I'm putting out. So it's a balance. It's tough. I don't know if it's refined science, but yeah. Nice. I, I like that you're changing your metric of success from views to how many people are showing up over and over again, how many people are genuinely interested. I think it's, you're starting to measure your success by the relationships that you're building as opposed to the number of people who just cruise by, say hello and zip on to the next thing. So I think there's something to be said about that is also mirrored in how we choose to live our lives. One of the things that I really like about your channel is that you are a member of 1% for the planet. And I don't really know any other YouTuber or very few content creators that are part of that. Tell me about how you came about 1% for the planet, what it is and why you decided to do it. <laughs> yeah, 
the 1% for the Planet is a nonprofit society that was founded by Yvonne Chouinard and one of his business friends, basically encouraged philanthropy towards the planet. Globally, only 2% of all philanthropy goes towards environmental organizations. And this was Yvonne Chouinard, who's the founder of Patagonia. It was his effort to basically create a voluntary tax. This was an earth tax, essentially, for people who operate their business. The idea being that your business relies on the planet. It relies on a healthy environment. So 1% of everything that you make should go back to preserving that environment in, in some way. So it's a partnership program, essentially. There are businesses who pay to be members who donate 1% of their revenue every single year. Revenue, not net. <laughs> this is all of the money that you ever bring in before taxes. And then you are partnered with a nonprofit of your choosing to donate that money to every single year. And you have to provide tax returns to prove your income. You have to provide receipts to prove that you donated the money. And they vet those nonprofit societies in order to make sure that who you're donating to are actually legit and that they're actually doing the work that they say that they're going to do. And I found 1% for the planet through these videos researching about Patagonia. I was like realizing that there was these sort of certifications that brands could get that validate their choices to be more sustainable. And I went to a 1% for the planet conference in Portland before the world crumbled down around us due to COVID-19. And there I saw a, a representation of the community that is 1% for the planet. And it's very vibrant. Like, I think if you were a part of 1% for the planet, you've recognized that you have to A, be conscious and thoughtful as a brand. And you probably have some kind of branding cognizant gene in your company, in your organization. Like, uh, Stasher, which is like a silicone plastic bag alternative company is a part of them. Clean Canteen, reusable bottles, Patagonia, Sunsky sunglasses, and everything down to like doctor's offices, lawyers, barber shops. Like there's tons of companies that are recognizing that this is a decent value add from like a branding standpoint, but also like the right thing to do. So I was at this conference, a person with a business talking about other businesses who are 1% for the planet. And I was like, I should probably just become a 1% member. <laughs> and yeah, so I signed up that day and I've been a member for two years now. And it's extremely easy. Like I think unless you run a, like a grocery store, which has like razor slim profit margins or something, 1% is easy. Like you can do 1%. That's not hard. That's a very simple thing to do. And as of now, to my knowledge, I am still the only 1% uh, for the planet member YouTuber in the world. That's great. So is that something that any individual can sign up for? Because you said doctors, lawyers, or it's people who run small businesses. You can join as any business. You can also contribute as a, a human being who doesn't have a business. So this is an interesting thing, though. So I am also in the process, I'm going to become uh, climate certified as well. So I will be a climate neutral business as well, which just basically means that I have partnered with a third party organization that is very similar to 1% for the planet founded by some of the same members, basically to say that my entire operations, everything that I do, I've paid a carbon tax on basically. So any flights that I take, the car that I drive, the house that I live in, the things that I buy to do everything that I need to do, I've written off from a carbon standpoint through carbon offsets, which can be controversial, but in general, it's the same idea. So I'm doing both of those things. I'm considering becoming a registered B Corporation as well, which is misnomer because like B Corporations are there to ensure that your supply chains and your employee structure and your governance practices and everything are all in line. And it's me. I'm a single person. So for me to become a B Corp would be like pretty easy. I'd be like, yeah, I treat myself well and I pay myself well and I, I buy carbon offsets for it. And they'd be like, okay, great. Yeah, you're a B Corp. So it, I don't find that one to be as valuable on paper, but it does look good. So maybe I'll do that. But okay, Vaughn, this is something that I wanted to push by you. And I'm very curious to hear what you think. So in 2021, I am going to do something with my AdSense revenue. 
I'm either going to turn off ads on my channel completely, so demonetize the entire thing and not have ads running, to basically not have ads from like Budweiser and like whatever company happens to be advertising to the person watching my videos, or I'm going to enable ads on every single video and I'm going to donate 100% of my AdSense to environmental organizations. And I can't figure out which is the better move. So I'll provide some more things to think about. If you demonetize, you're benefiting the people who watch your videos. The people who watch your videos who don't have ad blocker or don't pay for premium. So that immediately benefits the people who are watching. And in response, I can say, I have no ads on my channel. You can support this channel if you want on Patreon or by engaging with my sponsored content. Or I can <laughs> enable ads get money that previously wouldn't have gone to anything other than to the air and i can donate that and create some kind of like awareness piece around it at the end of the year or multiple times throughout the year i want to know what you think that's an interesting one i have heard and i don't know if this is true but i have heard that if you don't monetize your videos you're limiting the reach of it because youtube's algorithm is not going to recommend a video they can't make any profit on so what you're doing actually by demonetizing your video is taking revenue away from YouTube. And so your overall performance as a channel might seriously suffer from it. I almost think that what you need to do is do both and see what happens. And then you can make a video comparing the two and deciding based on the data that you've collected, which one would be better, as opposed to just making a decision on a whim. Oh, okay. That's very interesting. <laughs> I, I like that. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I have looked into it and apparently according to google there's no way for the algorithm to know which videos are which videos have ads and which ones don't that's what they say but that is what they would say isn't it the problem with algorithms is actually nobody really knows which iteration of the algorithm yeah. are they running which test are you a part of we don't know <laughs> what is being recommended to whom and why and that's one of the reasons I just can't get over this whole ad industry thing. It's so conflicting. But one, one of the things that I find so interesting about you, and I want to just bring this back here for a second, is that you don't earn zillions of dollars. Like You're not one of those YouTubers who are making a million dollars a year. If anything, you're probably an order of magnitude less than that. Yet you oh, are yeah. making your life as complicated as possible by being a part of 1% for the planet, being climate neutral, and now trying to pull your own ad revenue to untether yourself from the system. It's hard to be a creator to start with. It's even harder to be a creator and to say, you know what, let's do the right thing. You know, I'm going to take a hit and it's going to, that hit's going to happen right away. It doesn't, and it's not contingent on your success. I think that's something that holds a lot of people back. So what is different about the way you see the world that is enabling you to make those sacrifices upfront because it's the right thing to do and not saying, oh, I'll do it next year. Or I'll do it when I hit X milestone. First of all, privilege. I'm a white guy who lives in North America, who has been fortunate to live in a middle-class household my whole life. The traumas of my life are minimal in comparison to the circumstances that millions and millions of people are in every single day. So my safety net's huge. My ability to take risks, as you say, is almost entirely contingent on the fact that I have a safety net that Man, the amount of terrible stuff that would have to happen for me to end up on the street is colossal. And and if that happens, it's not just me. Like, the, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. So I've always felt an incredible sense of, I don't know, responsibility to do something with this. I recognize that through my last long-term girlfriend and with my now wife, Leah, I've seen that it's not always as easy for everybody else to do what I do because, yeah, being confident, six feet tall, white, straight male in North America, there's nothing I can't do. And so starting the YouTube channel at all, I went a full year making literally zero dollars and I went a second year not making an amount of money that anyone would consider worth it. So that's huge. That's way bigger than getting rid of my AdSense revenue. That's like a stupid amount of risk. I worked two jobs simultaneously to maintain the lifestyle that I was living while doing the channel in the beginning. And that's because I knew that I could always just back out if I needed to. But 
shouting out all the other white, straight, confident males in uh, North America. Why am I doing it and they're not? Because I think that makes life more interesting, excluding everything else. I don't know. I just think it's more interesting to follow a story about somebody who's giving away all their AdSense revenue than somebody who isn't. I look at all the sustainability YouTubers that are in the space and I, I love their content. And honestly, I steal their ideas all the time. And I think that they blaze the trail for me, but I don't find their content usually to be exciting beyond an educational standpoint. And I don't want my channel to be that. I don't want to just be like nice place where people can go and learn stuff. Like I want to be taking risks and being a 1% for the planet thing is something that they have never done. They've been creating content on YouTube for longer than me, and none of them are 1% for the planet members. So I want to be setting the trends. I want to be, I don't know, I want to be at the top of my game. And I feel like setting the bar higher and higher is what's going to keep people interested on the channel and will ensure my long-term success. Risk versus reward ratio, essentially. Good answer. Another question on that route, how much of the decisions that you make do you do for yourself versus how much of the decisions you make do you do for your story? I like that. I would say that my decision-making process has evolved a lot over time. So like I would say in the last year, probably honestly, even since COVID, I would say that my decision-making has changed a lot. I was very hell-bent on growth up until COVID hit. And I think I didn't recognize that shift was happening, but I've realized more and more, especially as COVID has shaken everything up and like I've had uh, family members pass away during this time and I've been separated from most of my side of the family during the pandemic. So I was aware that I needed to create content that I could create consistently. And when I originally came up with this idea about giving away all my AdSense revenue, the original idea was that I was going to create elaborate Mr. Beast style videos with that money. Like I was going to make a boat out of ocean plastic and sail it thousands of kilometers or something. Like I had these like super mega videos in mind. And I recognized at a certain point that if I went down that road, if I started making that kind of content and one blew up like my Patagonia video did, that I'd be stuck doing that for like years. And I can't do that. I, I, I want to have kids at some point with Leah. I want to be able to spend a whole month with my family when I need to. I want to be able to leave and go home when they, they need me to be there. My interest in growth and becoming super famous has lessened significantly. And my interest in being able to create a community that works for not only my lifestyle, but also for the people who watch is, is definitely taken a bigger priority in the last six to eight months. Interesting. No, that's nice. I like how you've finally brought sustainability into your own life from a lifestyle perspective, because that, <laughs> that same growth that a company will pursue in order to get more sales is the same kind of a growth that a content creator usually aspires for to get more yeah. views, to get more followers, to get more revenue. Then you're, you've just taken a step back and being like, actually, let's figure out how to how make- How old do I sound when I say that? <laughs> <laughs> you sound very responsible. I know. I'm like, oh, yes, make the conservative choice in order to preserve long-term growth. Well, I think it's wonderful, though, because you have only been a YouTuber for, what, three years now? Entering four years. And you've already entered this sort of maturity where you're realizing that you don't want to be a prisoner to the content that you're creating, which I think is a trap that many people fall into. They become a character that everyone subscribes to and they're no longer allowed to change and evolve. And you've made that decision earlier on already to decide that, okay, there are the things that I'm going to do in order to have the performance, but I also want like the fundamental underlying foundation of what I do to be at its core sustainable. And I think there's something really wise about that. Do you ever worry about making yourself the product? Is this what you want to do for the next 20 years or 40 years? First of all, when you describe things that I say, that's I like that because you make things sound really eloquent and thought out and like precise. So yeah, shout out to you for making me sound super pragmatic and thoughtful. But am I the product? I am the product. And yeah, everything is centered around me. And that's definitely a pinch point. 
and a point of uh, tension that I see long term, but not immediately. The business that I was in before was video work. I was a wedding filmmaker. I created promotional videos for companies and stuff. And I got out of that business because I recognized that my business was replicable by so many other people. And I recognized also that I wasn't the best filmmaker. I'm pretty good. If I shoot your wedding, you're going to be happy with it. But I, I just knew that my interest in doing that to the best of my abilities was not really something I wanted to do. And I knew that my strengths lay more in my personal storytelling ability and my understanding of storytelling in general. So if I could aim that camera at myself and I could tell the story and I could be the engineer of what was happening on screen, I could probably grow and, and create a better life for myself. And I did that. But the alternative side of that is that nobody can be me. I am me and, and this is probably what I'm going to be doing for quite a long time. And that's why I decided to, to play the game a little bit more conservatively. I bet you ask any YouTuber this question, what's your exit strategy? And they will not be able to tell you because it's so difficult to extricate yourself. But I'm not particularly worried about that at this time because something I'm excited for with this channel is my audience and I growing up together. My channel continues to interest people and grow. And I'm able to tackle these questions and these decisions in real time with my audience. So for example, like we just bought a car and buying a car is not an inherently sustainable choice. It's not even an EV. We bought a gas powered car. And so that decision is something that I know a whole bunch of people in my subscriber inbox are, are thinking about that probably have are going to or will have to make that decision. And so I think that the ability to hold on to this as long as possible is one of the greatest potential benefits of it. And if I can maintain it and do it sustainably for me over time, then that's great. And then maybe one day I just slowly stop uploading. But yeah, that's, uh, that's a long answer to a short question. I think there's something really interesting about taking people through an ordinary life decision. We have all these influencers and Instagrammers that are really leading extraordinary lives. And there is a really big lack of representation of <laughs> what do you do if you're a normal person and you're not going to be going around and turning zero waste right away because you, you, know, you don't have the time to do it. What do you do? So I think yeah. you might be onto something there. And, and I like that it's very authentically you. Another existential question. Your tagline is, <laughs> you don't need to be a hero to save the planet. If that's the case, how do you know when you're doing enough? Personally, I know when I'm doing enough if I'm exhausted by it, because I do a lot. I think that there's a fine balance that people will reach, and I haven't made a video about this. Thanks for the inspiration. But I, I think everybody has a point, and I think that it's important to recognize that you aren't ever going to reach a perfect sustainability model. You're not going to reach success. And the thing that I always implore people and getting back to there's no black and white, there's a world of gray. You don't need to be a hero to save the planet is that if you decide that this thing is wrong and these other things are right, and I'm going to do those things and never do this other thing, then you create tension you create struggle, you create animosity in your own life around a particular choice. Like Leah and I, we've eaten meat, we'll probably eat meat again, because we haven't vilified the choice. We haven't made it this horrible thing that we can't do. And therefore, when we end up at a dinner party, and all they're serving is one giant meat lasagna, that's not the end of the world. And that means that we can the next day go on to continue to eat plant-based whenever we can and however we can. But I, I think that's the, the whole point of not being a hero is you got to recognize what you can do and live within that because otherwise you just get burnt out. Come on, who wants to live a life where you're just like constantly policing yourself? Ugh. <laughs> For sure. There's a quote that I heard that I really liked, which is that you could be the most successful person in the world. You could solve every single problem you ever stumble upon and there will still be more problems to solve. So mm -hmm. you need to figure out what's enough for you and to do it in a way that is 
sustainable like in order to keep fighting otherwise you're just going to dig a hole for yourself <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah one last question for you <laughs> if you had a megaphone to the world and you could invite people to do one thing what would that thing be Ooh, one thing i would implore people to live with intention it doesn't have to be one thing or the other you don't have to do what i do you don't have to even believe in what i do but if you think critically and you are a person who wants to do things in in a way that is beneficial for more than just your immediate craving at that moment or some sort of animalistic urge you will live a better life and that life will be better for the people around you and the planet that you're on Amazing. What a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Levi. Where should um, people go to stalk you and find you and follow you and learn more about mm. what's next? I am active on all social media platforms other than MySpace. So I'm on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and Patreon. If you just look up Levi Hildebrand, you'll find me there. Yeah. And I'd love to have you on the team. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Alrighty, there you have it, folks. That was Levi Hildebrand. You spell it L-E-V-I space H-I-L-D-E-B-R-A-N-D. Kind of just like how you pronounce it. You can go check out his videos on YouTube. They're really good. I particularly liked his open pit mining video if you guys want to start somewhere, just because those are the kinds of videos that are really, really hard to do. And I ended up actually investing a little bit of money into Nouveau Monde. Maybe I'll even bring them onto the podcast because I just thought that it was fascinating and they were doing something that was really different in the mining industry. Maybe you guys will discover something that you like too. And this is our first episode since the new year. It is 2021 and I just wanted to wish you all a very happy new year and thank you for supporting the podcast and listening and recommending it to your friends and family. I did a bunch of introspection and I realized that I have not highlighted any indigenous voices here on this podcast thus far. So if you know someone and you'd like to recommend something, please let me know. Last but not least, I'm actually looking for new friends here in Montreal, people who use their hands to build things. And it doesn't matter whether they're a botanist or a chef or a fashion designer. I just want to be out connecting with individuals, safely of course, that are using their hands and doing and not just thinking. So if you do know anyone that might want to meet, please reach out, say hello, let's connect. And who knows, it might lead to something interesting. Anyways, y'all, that is it. We'll see you again next week. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a review. It really helps us, especially on Apple Podcasts. They sort of have a monopoly as most things Apple do. And every single written review really helps and really makes a difference. All right, see y'all next week. And remember to stay positive because impact is everywhere. <laughs>